You're listening to Comedy Central. Congratulations. Thank you, Trevor. Miss Thank you. Universe. Has it sunk in yet? I don't think so. I think this is like my almost a week now. Of and being... yeah, and I'm, I think I'm getting used to it because at first people would be like, Miss Universe, and I'll just continue going because <laughs> that's not me. Miss Universe, you dropped something. <laughs> is that me? Jupiter, please, Miss Universe. <laughs> It is, it is a surreal experience. I mean, like, because you won Miss South Africa and then you go on this journey to, you know, to compete for Miss Universe. And I mean, you, you know, it's amazing women from all around the world. Mm-hmm. The competition has evolved over the years to become more about like what the women are thinking yeah. as well as how you look and what you want to do in the world. So it is a challenging experience to be on. Like, what was this journey? What has it been like for you? Oof, it's been interesting since I won Miss South Africa and finding out that I would be doing Miss Universe as well. Um, it was incredible, the support that I got from back home, but it was challenging as well because I had a new look um, that people were not used to. And so um, I got crowned and I got a lot of different responses, but I was, I was quite excited about it regardless of what was happening. In, in, in what way? Tell me, tell me about the responses. Because that's uh, interesting because a lot of people might think that would be something that happens like in a Western country uh-huh. or in another, but this was in South Africa. In South Africa. Yeah, you had won a predominantly black country, mm-hmm. and yet there were people who said to you, hey, we love you, but... But, yeah, so I first won, and I got a lot of comments where, you know, a lot of people said, oh, is this the one this year? She's so underwhelming. Um, I got comments like, um, she's a downgrade from the others that we've had. And this was only from people in, in, in my country as right. well. Um, and then it got more international as people find, found out that I was going to do Miss Universe. And then international people as well started, you know, commenting in. And I think my most interesting was, one was when I came to New York for the first time, I think about four months ago. Um, I came back to South Africa. It was quite, it was late in the evening and I took a photo from my apartment. And I was like, oh, such a beautiful night. And a comment came in. And I chuckle now, but at first I was like, what? This guy says, oh, this photo is so black. It's as black as you are, Miss Black Ugly South Africa. And I think, yeah, it's quite, and I think it was in that moment where I was like, I'm not even mad. I'm not mad because I think it's just how society has labeled beauty to be. It's just how we've been programmed to look at at beauty that way. You know, the furthest you are from being fair um, is the uglier you are. And I just saw it as an education moment because I remember putting out a post, you know, just speaking about it, speaking about colorism, speaking about racism, uh, speaking about how people need to see things in order to start believing in them. Right. Um, and that, I, that was that was a big thing, yeah. especially for you, and I think so many people who saw you being crowned Miss yeah. Universe was it was a moment where many people, and this is what really interested me. I was proud as a South African. Yeah. Um, I was proud as somebody who's grown up on the continent. But what really got me is how universally, I mean, for our for our planet, many people said to see a dark-skinned woman mm-hmm. win an accolade like this, but then to see a woman with natural hair yeah. win this with her natural hair. That's what a lot of people initially wanted you to change. People were like, why don't you get a weave? Why don't you straighten? You're beautiful, but why don't you just straighten your Uh hair? That must have been a challenge. Why didn't you straighten your hair? Why didn't you wear a weave? Because this is my hair. This was the first question I gave people. They're like... (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I don't think anyone tells other 
people to put on a weave so why why right. should i you know for at first people are like was this a strategy i'm like to what to wake up and be myself <laughs> you know and i was like no it's not a strategy i've had you know short hair for 3 years and i wasn't going to change because i was now stepping into a beauty platform right. because then that means i don't think my hair is beautiful if i'm going to change it and so i decided to keep it you've kept it and yeah. everyone is happy that you kept it You've also, you've also kept many of the causes that you've been passionate about, you know? Um, a lot of the time, beauty pageants are associated with a superfluous world, but, but as I've said, over the years, mm -hmm. things are changing. The, the focus is changing. What people are trying to do mm -hmm. is changing. And, and you've taken on a really powerful issue, and that's been gender-based violence, yeah. which, is, which is far from, like, a flowery issue mm -hmm. that many people would want to tackle. Why gender-based violence, and, and what would you hope people would understand in and around this conversation. Yeah. It, you know, for me, I think my 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 thing began when I won Miss South Africa. And uh, femicide and gender-based violence is, is very big back home. Uh -huh. And I realized that it's not only a South African thing, it's a global issue because we have things like the Me Too movement. Uh -huh. We have things like the Time's Up movement. You know, women are fighting all over the world to be safe again in, in, in this world, which is, you know, it's quite crazy to me to have to have movements where we're fighting just to be alive, just to keep our lives. And I like to say, you know, women are an endangered species these days. I feel like one day we're just going to wake up and, you know, there's no women anymore. That and would it be was horrible. so I know, right? <laughs> that's that's why I'm an ally. That would be horrible. <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah, and so my thing is about gender-based violence is to bring in the men. That's always been my, my message because people will ask women, what do you think we should do to fight this? And I'm like, why are you asking me? You know, I'm not the perpetrator in most of the instances. Right. So why don't we call out on the people that are? So. That, and that, that has been really beautiful because you have sparked a conversation, not just in South Africa, but on all the platforms you've, you've taken around the world and saying, hey, we need men to be a part of this yeah. conversation. We need to be engaging men and saying, hey, here's how you can do better. Exactly. Here's what you can do to be better. Here's how men can call other men yeah. out in making women safe because exactly. it's, it's the men who are the perpetrators in, in this case. Mm -hmm. um, you are a week in to being Miss Universe. Yes. But it is now a journey that is going to take you over the course of a year. It'll feel like a lifetime. It'll be over in a moment. What are you most looking forward to? What are you excited to achieve? What do you, what do you, what do you just want to do in this period of your reign? I'm so excited to travel the world. I must say, though, New York is so cold. Oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot. Oh, when I got here, I was like, I'd really love to feel my toes one more time. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm so excited to travel the world. I haven't really had the opportunity to travel before, and I think this is um, going to be quite an interesting one for me. I'm excited to have my messages and everything that I'm passionate about to just go across the globe. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always say is I don't want to feel like when I step out of um, this crown that it was wasted. I want to be responsible with it. And now I have a platform of, you know, I have 2.5 million people, thank you, following me. <laughs> use that platform and whatever I do, it must just be purposeful work, you know. Um, but also to build my brand as well. Because when people ask me, what is this for you personally? Right. For me, I say it's the beginning of building generational wealth for my family. Because it's not, it's not something that we've had in the past. That is, that is one thing. 
that is one part of your story that I think a lot of people will be surprised by because, you know, it can often happen with the first time people see you, you're wearing a crown, you're yeah. wearing a beautiful gown or a dress, and, and people go like, wow, this has always been you. But part of the reason many South Africans were proud is because of the story that came before your victories. Yeah. And that was, you came from humble beginnings. Yes, I do. I grew up, I come from a village, Kutsolo in the Eastern Cape. Uh, yeah, <laughs> someone say yes, like the village. <laughs> yeah, I, I come from a village and um, you would know, but you know, they wouldn't know how, how it is. The Eastern Cape, I think is one right. of the most <sighs> impoverished places of, of the country. While I was fortunate enough to have a mother who's a school principal and my dad who worked, um, at least I was able to go to school, but things are quite different for other people who, who grew up there. Right. And it's quite difficult to make it out of there. And so I think because I grew up there and people saw me growing up there now, you know, I Miss Universe, it's, it's, it adds like an element of hope to people who feel like they couldn't have been able wow. to do it before. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is, you know what, it's truly, truly, truly one of my pleasures to have you on the show because um, you have taken the world by storm. I remember when you first blew up in South Africa, you know, everyone was just black coffee, black coffee. There's this guy, this black guy, black guy, black coffee, black coffee, black coffee, black coffee. And I was like, who is he? What is it, coffee? Is it a drink? Is there a new drink that's out? What is going on? And I was like, no, there's a DJ and he's huge. And then you went from South Africa and you went into the world and you've taken it by storm. Why do you think you have blown up as much as you have all over the world. Doesn't it sound like your story? My story? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You think so? Um, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, man, it's resilience, you know? Um, it's knowing hunger and knowing that you have experienced it and you don't want to go back there. Wow. Um, it's working from nothing, knowing that you have nothing to lose. So whatever you gain is something. Um, that, that is what has kept me going. That is what has gotten me to where I am today. What I, what I also loved about your journey and I've always enjoyed is that like in South Africa and in Africa and many countries around the world, there was always... Um, an instinct for people to aspire to create like an American or to, or to create like a European. Yep. What set Black Coffee apart for me was you made the music of Africa, the music of South Africa, and the world fell in love with that. Was that like a specific choice you made where you're like, I'm not gonna make European dance music, I'm just no. gonna make my music and it's gonna be big in the world? De definitely, and it, it hasn't been easy, you know. Um, because sometimes there's hype that comes with the name and then you get a big room. Right. Because the name is so big and then, but the music is, is so maybe too soulful for the room. Oh, you right, know, right, right. Um, so we've been through different phases trying to build uh, that sound and um, it took patience. Yeah. You know, it took a, a, lot, a lot of time. It, looked, it took a, a good team behind me and it took love for what I do, man, to, to really push. It really is soulful. I remember at uh, Coachella, I was so excited when I saw your name on the list of artists who were gonna be performing. 
And you know, a lot of people think like when it was dance. I remember my friends. I was like, guys, let's go to black coffee, and they were like, what? What is? What is? No, I want coffee with milk. I was like, no, this again, no, because everyone thinks that as soon as you say, do you like black coffee? People are like, ah, oh, a bit of sugar, a bit of no, DJ black coffee. And and so we went to we went to the tent that you were playing in. Yeah. And my friend said to me, he's like, man, I'm not a big fan of like EDM. I'm not a fan of dance. I was yeah. like, no, it's it's different. You're dancing to it, but it's not because people always think of like that's what people think. Of. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Your, your music has, a, and I'll never forget, the whole tent was just like, I mean, you had like a thousand people just like bouncing no, together. It was, you know what I mean? It was yeah. Africa in the middle of California, black, white, everyone, everyone dancing man. to your music. That's what I love. That's what yeah, I really no, it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful. You, you, you've done something really special for me though, or in my opinion, and that is you've taken the success of your music and you've used it to inspire a new generation in South Africa. You started a project where you are building a school, yeah. but I think more impressive, you're building a neighborhood. Yeah. What is that about and why? Um, we, we're trying to, and I'm gonna say we, because I'm working with, with, with other people. It's myself, it's Nelson Magamu, who was here before. Right, the artist, yeah. Yeah, it's Laduma Ngogolo, uh, who was coming. Right, the designer, yes. Yeah, yeah you had, he's coming, right? What, are you warning me? I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's coming to this show. <laughs> um, we, we try to change the narrative about the continent where it, maybe it is our fault where we, we always seen Africa as an inferior place. Um, all the best things were on TV, which means that we're here in America right. or in Europe. And it took away so much from the continent. And we tried to reverse that and, and, and create a space in Africa that will inspire Africans to want to stay and create a future. Right, it's powerful. It really is powerful because you have you you have this initiative, and it's called Africa is not a jungle. Yeah. And what I love about it is you say it's about Africans creating for Africans and not always looking to yeah. Europe to create for them. Yes, sir. Which is a powerful statement to make when you look at your journey as Black Coffee. I mean. You went out into a very competitive world. DJing is not like an easy thing to just break into, especially when you have a different sound. What happened to you DJing? What, me DJing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I used to DJ. I know. I, used to, I actually used to create music as well. And then I sent you a few samples uh. and nothing has... <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you brought it up, not me. Um, but I, I mean, I, I sent a few. No one has ever gotten back to me about is, my... Is this, is this water? It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah. We, there's nothing in here, but we can act like we're drinking. <laughs> just to get rid of the awkward situation. But, uh... <laughs> but yeah, what, like... What do you hope to achieve with the music around the world? You know, because I, I, I've always been intrigued by the message that you have when you're playing your music. We see you collaborating with people like Drake. We see you, you know, uh, people like Usher. We see, we see yeah. artists who you wouldn't even associate with this genre saying, no, yeah. I love Black Coffee because of his message and how it pertains to music as an art form. What are you trying to accomplish all over the world with your music? Um, Af Africa has a voice. And over the years, I feel like that voice has diminished because of how um, the world has painted the continent. You know, one of the things that used to happen with me uh, when I would get bookings back in the day, they would want to put like bongos and African masks on their flyer. Wow. 
you know, uh, because I'm from Africa. Right. So, we all wear masks and have bongos. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's something that we really fought for from the beginning to say, look, we want to play on the global stage. Right. You know, uh, which is what you're doing. Right, right, right. You know, um, I, I would like to, for the world to see that voice. I would like for the world to know that we are capable um, to be on the world stage. This is why I continue to try and collaborate with the greatest artists being from Africa, though, and still keeping the sound that I believe in. Right. Because we have that voice. You know, so I'm trying to create different platforms that will showcase that, not just conversation, but with action. Art has always felt like it's been like a European thing, yeah. you know? It's like, oh, that's art. Yeah. And then it's like the Africans make nice things. They'd be like, oh, this is cute. Where did you pick this up, you know? <laughs> but, but, but you're starting to shake that. You're starting to change all of that. You just came back from your own showing in Paris, you know, where people, like your artwork's all, so, all sold out. Yeah. Who is Nelson Makamo and, and why do you think you're experiencing this success in the art world? Um, well, I mean, I don't know, even know where to start. Um, I mean, art has always been part of me. Right. Uh, growing up, uh, I mean, I grew up, um, I was born in a small town in South Africa. Um, it was quite interesting because growing up, toys were never actually an option as a black child. Right. So you had to create your own choice. So my foundation of art started from there. I started actually making toys from clay. Um, and then from there, starting from primary, um, it was quite interesting because, I mean, South Africa, as you know, in the 80s, post-apartheid, yeah. um, we were limited in terms of choices. Art was never an option. Yes. So as a child, um, you were told to either become a doctor, you know, you become a teacher, a lawyer. Yes. That's what your parents hoped you would do. That's what my parents were actually yeah. hoping for me to Drawing do. Drawing is not an option for like a young black child. That's exactly that. Yeah. But I was actually... As a job. I was fortunate enough <laughs> to have a mother who truly believe in my talent, that from an early age, she truly supported me. Right. So I had a strong supporting um, um, figure from an early age. Right. And, but it was also quite interesting because she never saw that as something that I would also make a living out of it as well. You've made more than just a living now. I mean, you, you've gone from being a successful artist in South Africa to a world-renowned artist. I mean, you know, people come to South Africa to view your art, to purchase your art. And I mean, everybody, you know, from, you know, from, from, from Alicia Keys through to, to Oprah Winfrey. I mean, I remember Oprah telling the story of how she came to your building yeah. and you have a building in the heart of Johannesburg in South Africa and there's no elevator. Actually, the, um, that was quite of one of the most interesting story because um, I was on the fourth floor. Yes. There was no elevator. Right. So she had to take the steps from the first, from the ground floor to the fourth floor. Right. She wasn't happy at all. Because <laughs> my favorite was Oprah, when Oprah tells us, she's like, uh, Oprah doesn't climb stairs for anybody. Like, Oprah was like, no. She's like, I'm, I'm not gonna, where's this guy? Why is he not coming with the art? And Nelson's like, no, this is where the studio is. But, but she came to you and she fell in love with the art. And as many people have, why do you think it connects with so many people from different walks of life? Because so many people would think of African art as African art, but it's like, no, this is art. Yeah. And you happen to be South African. I think like one of the privileges that I actually had was, um, um, I mean, I studied in a community-based college. Right. And um, I applied for residency, um, which um, I went to Italy for three months. 
I think having to have an experience of outside South Africa, that has actually helped me to sort of view things, not for only from a, an African perspective, but to actually look at things from a, glo a global perspective as well. Right. I started creating work more like a language, a universal language, um, in a way that um, it was quite interesting because the first thing that I did was to use a child as a subject in my work. Yeah, we've seen some of those amazing pictures. You, you've got these images of children, and I think on the cover of Time, they called it the art of hope. Yeah. You know, it, 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 because it, it, it showed South Africa and Africanness in a very different way. For so long, we've seen art that makes it, it it's all about poverty. It's yeah. all about pain. It's all about suffering. And here, these images, you can, in, you can, they're open to interpretation, but they feel hopeful. They feel young. They feel like children who live in Africa. And the scale of them is also huge. I mean, we have some, some pictures of you, you, you know, like working on some of your artworks. You, you have giant, giant pictures that you create. Why the children? Why their eyes? Why the glasses? What, is, what does that symbolize? Um, I, you know, I think another thing that I actually realize as time goes, I realize that, um, you know, and art, I mean, when you look at art, it doesn't matter. I mean, I got inspired by Picasso, which well, he was non-African. Non right. Then you start realizing that... And ironically, Picasso was inspired by Africans. That's, that's exactly that as well. That then you realize that there was something there that says that as people, we don't necessarily, in terms of culture, I mean, the way we live, the world today, we all sort of aspire more or less to the same thing as well. Right. Um, I had to use a reference that was too close to me, which is, was a child, an African child. And the reason why I also did that was the fact that if you look at how the image of an African child was portrayed globally, it was portrayed either hungry, disadvantaged, and all of that as well. But if you've been to Africa and you realize that none of those things, it's almost like a taboo. Yes. And um, I had to go back and actually reintroduce how the way we are as Africans, to actually say that we are more or less the same as any other person in the world as well. Right. We're inspired. success, etc. And, and we're also inspired by beauty. Right. We follow culture. We love music. Um, today, when you go to Africa, you have a child who's got a smartphone. That actually tells you in terms of where we are as people as well. My thing and my view and how I've actually also drawn the inspiration from the world. The advantage of traveling has made me to also look at my environment as a source of inspiration as right. well. And why did I actually also had to blow them and make them so giantic? Is to actually bring them up close and personal. And when I did that, I realized that it actually also created a dialogue that as human beings, we experience the same thing. We experience the same joy. We all sort of have, we go through the same experiences in life as well. We go through the same political, we go through the same struggles as well. So. As a young African who actually been given an opportunity to sort of like rewrite history and reintroduce our image to the world, mm -hmm. I had to go back and look at myself and say, if I was, if I were to sort of represent ourselves globally, what language will I use? I had to actually use a universal language. I had to use um, a child who's close to me as a point of reference, but that child is like any other child in the world. We don't actually choose to be born in certain spaces as well. Actually, for me, it was such a blessing to be born in a continent that has so much history that allowed me to actually tell that history what is actually currently happening as well. Take that very same inspiration that I've actually drawn globally, combine it and putting it in, 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 in an artwork as well. Nomza Mombata, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show.
It feels good. It feels good to have somebody pronounce my name and surname very correctly. I practiced for a very long time, just so you know, okay? <laughs> it was like, I sat the whole day, I was like, nom, zam, o, mbatha. And then I Not practiced and I practiced and I practiced, yes. And I just sat there and I was like, I'm gonna practice. How are you? I'm so good. All the more better for being here. All oh, are you better. kidding me? Are you kidding? This is an amazing day for me because not only do I get to celebrate you as a fellow South African, I get to celebrate your success in the most successful movie of the year, the movie that broke Amazon Prime, coming to America. Congratulations on not just being part of the biggest film, but also being one of the breakout stars. I mean, do, do you ever take a moment to think about how amazing that is? Eddie Murphy, James Earl Jones, Arsenio Hall, Wesley Snipes, you know, Leslie Jones, Jermaine Fowler, and so many people are like, man, that Nomzamo, she's amazing. It is crazy, it is crazy. I mean, honestly, it's been an out-of-body experience for the longest time, but I think you would be able to let me know, you know, how to, you know, go about this Hollywood thing because, Having to call Eddie Murphy, Eddie, yeah. You know, when Eddie came on to set, or Arsenio, and it's not Arsenio Hall or Wesley. So yeah, it's been an amazing journey, honestly, and a very incredible out of body coming together, like a full circle moment for me. Your coming to America story was, was almost as crazy as the original coming to America story because <laughs> you, you had to audition for this movie. You weren't in the country when you were doing it. Walk me through the story of how you came to be one of the stars in the movie. So it's crazy. I'm in the UAE. I literally flew from New York to Switzerland to the UAE. By the time that I'm in the UAE, I'm supposed to fly back to South Africa because I'm supposed to go and host the South African Music Awards. Yes. Right. I get a call the night before my flight from my agent and he says, you want to be in the room for this one. You can send a self-tape, but you want to be in the room. And I was like, listen, I've spent so much money flying in and out. These auditions are not working out and I'm not going to spend another penny. And he said, well, it's for a lead in coming to America. And I was like, well, I don't know. Fire the jet. Hello. <laughs> so I literally uh, changed my flight from flying out of Abu Dhabi to South Africa to a new flight from Dubai to uh, LA. And so I canceled that and I drove from Abu Dhabi to Dubai, caught a flight from Dubai into LA and I, I made them to onto um, the offices of Leah Butler and I did my audition. It, it is quite a, a feat, you know, because I mean, getting into a, an American film is already a big jump. Getting into a, you know, a major marquee film is another jump, but I mean, to be seen as one of the breakout stars of it is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate celebration of what you have done. And, you know, like Eddie, for instance, even said, he's like, you have the most authentic accent. He's like, he loved how you were doing the thing. You, you know, you play um, Jermaine Fowler's barber in the, in the story, you know, and, and he, the love interest. And, and what's cool about the story is you, you, don't, you don't know which way it's going. You're like, are we gonna stay in Zamunda? Are we gonna go back to America? But, but here you are in this world. Was it, was, it, was it interesting for you when you were getting the job? Because I mean, a lot of people don't know this, especially like Americans, they just go to other countries and they work, you know? You can go to another country and you can work. And then if you're, you're British, you can just go to another country and then you work. But as a South African, there's such a big process behind, like, did you, you had to go to get a visa and everything, right? You had to, they had to approve you to come and do the job. I mean, first of all, you are coming into America with a tourist visa. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then you move from being a tourist to being somebody that's employed in America. So it's a whole process. I mean, I remember even when, uh, you know, I got the call to make it back to the States. It was like, you need to come back, you need to sign papers so that we can give you, you know, your official O-1 visa and go back to the embassy in South Africa to yes. have that visa <laughs> stuck in your passport and then come back. 
let me tell you, I was like, I really genuinely deserve this movie because I've worked pretty hard for it. <laughs> Did anybody say anything to you at the at the visa place? Because I remember one of my favorite things about about the process. Americans don't realize you do this. So, so to everyone who's watching who doesn't understand, this is how it works for a lot of countries around the world. If you're going to come work in America, you you can come in for the interview and then Americans can accept you for the job, but then you have to go back to your country so that Americans in your country can stamp your passport and put a visa in your passport so that you can come back to the country, which is America, so that you can get the job. And what happens in between is you get, you get like, you meet some of the most interesting people in the process. So, so on my side, I'll never forget the, 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 the guy who was working, you know, immigration, he looked at my visa and he's like, yo man, yo, your visa says you got an 01. And I said, yeah. And he said, man, 01 means you the best of the best. I said, well, I'm, I'm just good at what I do. And he's like, nah, 01 means you the best. You like the Michael Jordan of what you do. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know about that. He's like, what do you do? I said, I'm a comedian. He's like, you the Michael Jordan of comedy? I was like, I don't, I don't no. even know what he's like. Hey man, if I see your jokes and they're not funny, you're going back to your country, you hear me? And then he stamped my passport and I came in. So I wanted, like, did you meet anybody? Like, cause they, they always say interesting things. It is. I'm thinking right now, I'm cracking up because I'm thinking you got a threat and I had a threat as well. Because <laughs> she, you know, she saw my, she saw my 01 and she said, hmm, it says Paramount. And I said, yes. She says, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm an actress. Oh, which movie? And, and, she, and I said, oh, coming to America. And she was already, you know, I said, coming to America. And she stopped writing. She looked up. She said, don't mess it up. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> No one wants to, no, yeah. they want to make a good movie. <laughs> Movies on your shoulders, girl. You don't, if I'm watching that movie and it's hard, I'm gonna come find you <laughs> and take your passport and go, you're going back home. Please don't, please don't, I like it um, here. No, it's, it's, it's only been a success story. It's been beautiful. People have been celebrating you back home. You know, everyone's excited. They're just like, oh, Nomzamo, you've done it for us. Um, it's a new journey now. And I, and I know it's scary and it's a crazy time to come to America during a pandemic, but you have dreams, you have hopes, you have aspirations. What are you hoping to do now that you're in this new world, you know, building on the success from South Africa into the US? Um, honestly, just to continue to do the work that I do, um, to continue to work with the United Nations, the Refugee Agency, to continue to make more films. Uh, right now, I want to get into producing as well. I think I'm in that space, just like that creative. What are you, what are you doing for life though? Like, because I, this is a question I love asking people who've just come to a new country. Like, so do you have any favorite things you do in LA? Do you have like, cause it's, it's pandemic plus a new country. So what is, what is your like normal life now? Do you have any normal? You know, honestly, it, you, when you come to America, I think you've, you've, you've said this before about the eating. So there's the first couple of months of just eating and thinking that it's not gonna go anywhere. And then you wanna go home and everyone says, my goodness, America is so good to you. <laughs> Your cheeks. <laughs> so uh, I try not to eat a lot, um, but also, you know, I'm, I, I, I love chicken sandwiches. I didn't think oh, I'd love wow. chicken sandwiches yeah. as much as yes. I do. I yes. enjoy chicken sandwiches. What's the most American thing that, uh, oh, oh, the, the, the crossing of the street was kind of very hard for me in the beginning, honestly. You looking the wrong way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was trying not to die in America. Yes. Uh, it's yes. very expensive to transport a body home. So, uh, yeah, there was just those those kind of things that I was going through. But I, honestly, it's very hard to come into a new country as a person who's on the other side. Yes, so I had a right. lot of culture shock, a lot of culture shock. But there's a lot of learning as well. So, I mean, what do I do? I haven't hiked. I haven't done I haven't done the, the normal um touristy things. I haven't gone to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So, you know, I'm taking it slow. 
Oh, I love it. So what you need to do is, I'll, I'll give you a few, few tips for LA, what you need to do. You need to get like a really nice dog and then you need to go for a hike, but then you need to dress as if you didn't care, but you have to dress as if you're on a runway and then you go for the hike and then make sure you don't sweat, but make it look like you were working out. Exactly. And do I like, need to have a bottle of water as well? But it must be like a, like a, like a special type of bottle. Like it must be a bottle that says something about you as a person. Very natural, but not too natural. Very, very you know natural. I mean? And then like, yeah, and then, and then just enjoy LA. Be yourself, but don't be yourself. Just be who you, who you think you should be and you'll this have a good time. This is too hard for me. This is too hard for me. I don't think I can be able to do it. And as, I don't know. Can I tell you, the, no, but can I tell you the thing for real though is that's the great thing about what you're doing. What a lot of people do is you are you and people are loving you for that. I think that's why you're successful in the movie. You play the character fantastically. And I think when people meet the real Nom Zamo in real life, they go like, wow, she's even more of a princess in real life. So uh, I think you're gonna experience more success, more joy, and you have no risk of somebody taking away that passport. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. And I can't so wait much, to man. see you when the lockdown ends. Yes, 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 please. Stay safe, okay? All right, bye. And we're so proud of you. Oh, I Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. Bye. Tusombedu, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Hi, Trevor. How are you? I am fantastic because I'm speaking to somebody who is not just from my home country, but somebody who has also moved to America and is making a name for themselves. I'm less happy for your success and more happy that I have somebody to share South African stories with and eat South African food. That's, that's really what I'm excited about. But um, congratulations, first of all, on not just making it into the industry, but making it in such a big way. What has that journey been like? And please tell me, how on earth did this happen for you? Yo, I don't even know where to start. Um, but I heard of the Underground Railroad in November 2018. I was in New York for the International Emmy Awards. And I did like um, the first audition then. And I sort of just forgot about it because I didn't think anything of it. I was like, this is my first international audition. I don't even have the accent right. It's just like, go there, do your best. And then I came to LA and top of 2019. And then I was able to make it into a room with Francine Maisler, who is the casting director for Underground Railroad. And then at the end of that night, I got a call from my manager telling me that it was a, a callback and that Barry wanted to meet me the next day. Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins. And I'm like, wait a minute, first of all, call back how when I don't, I don't even know, I wasn't, I was like emotionally, mentally, you know, like just, yeah. And so I met Barry the next day. At the end of it, he actually looked at me and he said, you are the character. I'm not saying you got the role, but Cora wow. is you. you know, and then in those two weeks between meeting Barry and the test shoot, I read the book like twice in preparation for that. And I was like, you know what? I want to do this, but I don't know if I have it in me to serve the character as authentically as she needs to be served, but mm -hmm. I'll just do my best. And then the rest is up to Barry. So what makes the story so, so, so difficult to tell is you're talking about one of the most painful periods in American history, and that is slavery. When you're playing this character, it, it must have felt strange and yet familiar to be an African woman playing a story about Africans who are displaced and put into America. What, what was that journey like for you in building and creating that character? So for me, most importantly, I realized very early on that I had a lot of unlearning to do in order to learn the truth. And the sense that what I knew about the enslaved body in America 
was shaped by media and a very white male gaze. So that serves a particular agenda. So I had to throw all of that away and completely, you know, be open to new information. Barry sent me stuff to read. He sent me audio tapes to listen to audio tapes of former enslaved people. And it's when I heard them, like the sound and how they spoke, that something in me really shifted. Because here I was listening to people who are 75 years old, you know, 90 years old, but they sound 16. And the English that they speak is broken. And it made sense because they were being taught English for instruction and not English for conversation. And what really struck me is that the, the broken English that they spoke is the in English that if you went to South Africa today or parts of Africa, that's how people in the rural areas or in the townships speak today. So right. when, when that hit, it stopped being an African-American story and became a story about Africans in America. And so it hit much closer to home for me. What was the hardest thing for you to do in, in, in playing the character and trying to tell that story as authentically as possible? You know, man, I think the hardest thing to do was actually outside the world of the character, which was keeping a balance and, you know, being aware of who Tuso is and who the character was. Because it's very easy to take on what the character is feeling and have it bleed into your everyday life, especially because what's happening in the story is still very relevant to what is happening today, Mm -hmm. you know. And the character is shaped by this huge sense of loss, rejection, abandonment. And she kind of has to fight to to get that what she wants, which is ultimately her freedom. And, you know, being a black woman, being a black body in the world today, I'm not even going to say just America, those are the same type of struggles that we see. You know, it's just, it happens to be in a different time. So I had to be very, very self-aware. Babes, when you're feeling this way, that's the residue of the character and not just... Yeah. But otherwise, on set, I always felt protected. I completely trusted Barry. When he pushed me, I knew it's because he knew I was capable of doing it. Mm. You are now pushing yourself um, to explore new horizons in the U.S. I mean, you are already lining up projects. And one of the most exciting that we've seen is that you are going to be teaming up with none other than Viola Davis herself. Tell me a little bit about, uh, about that and um, how, how that came about and what you're going to be doing in that. In the very first audition, I was already working with the director, Gina Prince by the Wood. She was, you know, it was a whole working session stretching me. But then she did something to me. She said, at the end of it, she says, good luck. And I said, no, you can't say good luck. Because now imagine going to an interview and then they say good luck with all your other interviews. It means that there's <laughs> no hope for me. And I was like, but I want you to be my good luck. We must work right, together, right, right. you know? Yeah. And then I think a few days later, we had a meeting and I got a, a chance to meet U Viola. And I absolutely loved it because from the interviews I've seen of her, her process is my process. And I was like, I'm going to learn a lot from her if I get to work with her. And then eventually we were able to do the test shoot. And then, ta-da, we're shooting it in South Africa. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Oh, well, they, they, you, I feel like you've achieved the ultimate goal. You come to America, you make it in America, and then you find a way to make the American production go shoot in South Africa. And look at that. You've just got a free round trip. Congratulations. I am so happy to be here. I don't think you understand how excited I am. 
I know. I am not afraid to share this. When you won your Academy Award, I remember I was sitting and I, had, I owned a tiny little Volkswagen Golf and I was in it and they had announced that you won the Oscar and I started crying and I was like, she's so good. She's so, like all of South Africa, and I was like, she's so amazing and so golden, it's so good. Thank you and for being I here. I said exactly the same thing when you got this job. You cried as well? And I said, he's so amazing, <laughs> he's so gold. Thank you very much for being here. Wonderful to have you so here. So happy to be here. Uh, you are a bona fide action star. I mean, Atomic Blonde is based on a, a graphic novel. You spent, what, five years developing yeah. uh, the story? For those who have no clue what it's about, uh, real quick, what is Atomic Blonde all about? It's about an MI6 agent who gets sent into Berlin five days before the wall falls. And uh, she's supposed to just go and recruit a, a colleague's body and bring the body back. And then she gets kind of caught up trying to find this list and, uh, and all sorts of uh, action ensues. Yeah, action ensues is an understatement. <laughs> I have never seen more people being kicked in my life. <laughs> like, this is just excessive kicking. It's amazing. And you are kicking them, by the way. I, like, I've, I've, I've seen you kick ass in a movie, but not like this. You, you, uh, you did a lot of your stunts. Yeah. Is this, is this like a new thing? You just don't like it's how you look? It's kind of an old thing. I feel like South African girls are just tough. There's something in the water in South Africa, right? Cholera. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. We actually have some of the best water in the world. That's yeah, not no, true. That's some of the rivers, <laughs> some of the rivers have a problem, but the water is good. Let's change gears for a moment and talk about the work that you do off camera. Um, you have a foundation that has been really successful working uh, in and around South Africa and in Africa, the Charlize Theron Foundation, that you, you, you work with uh, people to help and fight the scourge of HIV and AIDS. Uh, I mean, we, we joke about that all the time, and it's funny, because back home we joke about it more than people are comfortable with yeah. in America. It's oh, because true. I think part of it has been like, we don't, we're trying not to stigmatize. You want to turn the, the light on in the black room. Yes. Yeah, we don't want it to feel like the thing that people are whispering about right. or nobody's talking about. So I get that. I think sometimes you have to do. We're looking at the work now. Do you feel that people are still paying attention to issues that are happening? in third world countries? Or do you think now that Trump is turning America into a third world country, people are more focused on what's here? Do you still have attention in what you're doing? I might, I might have to bring my work back here. <laughs> the foundation moves. Um, look, South Africa is unfortunately uh, the hardest hit when it comes to HIV AIDS still today. But we're also, you know, it's a virus and it's still um, very much alive in, in, in America. Um, it kills a lot of adolescents in, in America. And so I think it's a big mistake to think that we've come this far and, uh, you know, we have medications and uh, ARVs and everything's going to be okay. It's a virus, and if it comes back, it might come back roaring, and our bodies might not be taking to those ARVs anymore. So I think that it's a big mistake to kind of be complacent right now when it comes to AIDS. Uh, let me ask you one final thing. Uh, as a fellow South African... I love it when you say that. As a fellow South African. Uh, <laughs> as a fellow South African, I've always wondered... You, you know, you came to the U.S. At a, at a different time, but I always wondered if you had a similar experience of people wondering what South Africa is and mm -hmm. Africa is. I know that I had some people look at me and go, like, Africa, Africa? 
I'll be like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm from Africa. And they're like, huh, not, not like Egypt or Algeria? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> Africa, like just Africa, Africa. So, yeah. But you, you don't look what, like what many people would think they would find in South Africa. Yeah, I get the, not Sweden? Sweden? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's strange for people to see a, a white girl say she's from Africa. Right. There, there, we, yeah, there are white girls in Africa too. Um, and we have the booties to prove it. Um, <laughs> But I always get, I don't know if you get this, I, a lot of times I get, so did you grow up with zebras in your backyard? Yes. Did you get that a lot? I did, and then one day I, 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 was, I fumed at someone, I was like, that's not what it is, we don't just have zebras running around, <laughs> and we don't have, and then the next day in the news there was a story of a zebra that was blocking traffic on the freeway. <laughs> and I was like, that's an isolated incident. <laughs> That's never happened before. We are about much more than that. Yes. yes, we do have the zebras. Yes. But not all the time. Yes, exactly. Not all the time. Uh, of the two things, I just have to ask this uh, for, for those back home. What would you say is the biggest thing you miss about South Africa? Because, I mean, we get that you're a Hollywood star, A-list, mm. the, the work is where you are, but what is the one thing you go like, man, South Africa? One thing is tough. I mean, I, it's most, like, I miss all the food. I really do. Right. I, 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 I miss Malkdat and Kuksistish and Brachtabroi. Oh, see? see, this is going deep. <laughs> Yeah, and pop and sauce and all of that. I miss right. all of that. But, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I get to go back at least once a year, if not twice a year, because of my foundation. Uh -huh. And then I just pig out. But, you know, I, there's something in the soil there. There's something uh, in the air. There's something in the people that you just can't find anywhere else. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.